on today's show. We are getting to know Dave. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it My cup of tea And Dave leads a church Which is pretty cool And is very unique Dave, thank you for coming on And uh, letting people get to know you And a little bit about what your church is going through yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so I, I don't want to like summarize it because I'm interested in how you would summarize it. So do you mind giving a little bit of background about what was go- maybe how your church started and then lead into the raid in 2020? I can't believe the raid was two years when the article just came out a couple days ago. I, I, it was amazing to me. Yeah, well, we just filed suit. So the statute of limitations, it, it was two years and... I've been through a lot of court battles with the cities and different governments. One of the things they like to do is wait till the very last second uh, to file charges. So that's what we did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the, uh, raid was August uh, 13th, 2020, and we filed August 12th, 2022. Literally just to have whoever thinking we got it's over we're not going to have to justify what we did i mean there's there's a few different reasons um you know we also kind of wanted to see if there was going to be any charges that they they had out of the raid you know you, you expect 
if the cops come in and raid a place that there'll be some criminal charges. Um, and there hasn't been to date. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some reasons for that, but you know, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. So take us, let's start with the, the founding of the church. So how did you decide to create a church? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I've been in the cannabis industry for a long time. I, I opened the first, uh, medical cannabis club in San Jose, which is a city of a million people out here in California. Um, and then legalization happened, uh, 2016, the legalization law was something that was going to devastate the entire industry. And I knew it, and that was kind of my cue to take a step out and do more consulting. Uh, from there, I kind of bounced around until early 2019 when an opportunity to open the church um, presented itself. So that that was, we opened as a cannabis church in January of 2019, expecting to have to fight to protect the religious freedom of cannabis. Little did we know that six months later, Oakland would pass a law that would make it uh, the lowest priority for law enforcement for all entheogenic plants. And that was really a sign to me that we needed to support other plants. Um, I always did believe in other things besides cannabis, but uh, up until that point, cannabis was was my only the one, the only thing I had ever done. I hadn't tried mushrooms or any other psychedelic at that point. Um, and it was, it was my only connection to any form of spirituality. Um, but again, here I was running this cannabis church in Oakland where they pass the lowest priority for all entheogenic plants and entheogenic means for religious or spiritual purposes. So that was really a sign to me that we needed to ride something else, um, out of what they had listed, uh, which was. Uh, ayahuasca, peyote, iboga, and mushrooms. The only one that's really safe for people to do on their own, um, have their own experience, was the mushroom. And that's something that had been calling me for for a really long time. Um, so that, that was <laughs> where I first, you know, because we were bringing mushrooms into the church, I had to experience them myself. Um, and I started doing some work with them and there's a whole story where they took me, you know, following the guidance of the mushrooms, I went from uh, five grams in a single dose uh, and then stepping up in increments of five grams all the way to 30 grams in a single dose. And at these really high levels of mushrooms, you get what can only be described as spiritual visions. Uh, you leave your body, you interact with entities that have knowledge that they want to teach you. And in my opinion, that is absolutely where our ancient ancestors first came across something that told them there was something more to this existence. Self-actualization kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I've always wondered just why do we assume, because it seems like it's assumed that like dogs don't have that thought or flies don't have that thought, like the thought of mortality or self-actualization. I feel like it's really arrogant on humans to think a seagull doesn't realize like, ah, it's going to end. <laughs> I need to be a better seagull. You know? Well, you know, all living things in, from what I've experienced, all living things have a soul. All of them are part of, are part of God. Um, 
you know, so they're, they're all God experiencing itself in different forms. Can I go back to the 2019 founding a cannabis church? Yeah, yeah. So I'm very curious, like, why, why actually make a cannabis church? I, again, it's something that I believed in more than anything else. Um, and I, I guess a little more backstory. Um, so I started the first cannabis club in San Jose in 2009. Well, at the same time, I started a um, theme that I would go to Burning Man with. I, I've gone to Burning Man for the past 15 years. Um, and it was uh, the book of more pot. And I had these little pamphlets and I'd walk around passing out my little pamphlets that said the book of more pot, talking about how uh, cannabis would uh, lead you to God. Uh, it kind of started as a joke, but as I interacted with more people out there, they took it more serious than I took it until it really became a pretty serious thing. Um, so that, that started in 2009. So 2019, uh, 10 years later, um, I was kind of, I, I knew I, I didn't have any interest in the legal cannabis industry in California because it was that the law that passed really was horrible. Prop 64 has decimated the cannabis industry in California. Um, but the opportunity to open a cannabis church appeared and just felt like the right thing to do. And, you know, I did it. What was the opportunity? Uh, a landlord in a spot and some people who believe that I should actually make my church a real thing. So that, it was just having a spot, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in Oakland in 2004, there was a voter initiative passed called Measure Z, which made it the lowest priority for all uh, marijuana-related activities, um, which actually kind of made Oakland the first place to have any sort of adult-use cannabis. Hmm. But because that law existed in Oakland and I had a location, it really kind of made the most sense to start a church out here. What was like the five? So is, is it a legit, like recognized tax exempt church? Yeah. I mean, we're as, as legit as any other church. Gotcha. And what was that process like for you? Is that just Google and fill in some forms that easy or were you like rejected or buffed? along the way? No, it's it, it's pretty easy. I mean, the biggest thing that comes down to what makes you a legitimate church is faith. Um, you know, whether or not this is something you truly believe and if you can explain how you're doing things for religious purposes, what your what your core beliefs are, um, what what happens to you after you die. There's it, it, like like you mentioned with the satanic temple it's actually relatively easy um, as long as you have faith. Gotcha. And is when you said you found a spot and a couple of people, the couple of people, were those be like a congregation? Were those like co-pastors? Were they investors to help you like get it up and running, build the infrastructure? Yeah, there was, there were some investors that, that helped provide the cash that we needed to, to, 
get the spark going. I mean, it wasn't really a lot that it took to to get it going. The biggest thing was having a a landlord that was okay with us doing whatever we wanted to do. And whatever you wanted to do was what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, open a cannabis church. No, yeah, um, yeah, right. But like, what is, does that mean? Like, as you're smoking or as you're preaching, you're like smoking and you treat it like old school bar where everyone, instead of cigarettes, is just smoking joints? Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, uh, the church was a little different. You know, the pandemic forced us to change some things because – Getting a bunch of people in a room to smoke joints together isn't a pandemic-friendly sort of scenario. <laughs> um, but yeah, prior to the pandemic, uh, people could just hang out and smoke. And then every Sunday at 4.20, I would pass out joints and get on stage and do a sermon. Dude, that's so awesome. Of course, you had to pick 4.20, right? Um, <laughs> talk about the tenets of faith. So when you applied, what do you guys believe? What is the faith of the cannabis church? Well, th things have changed. You know, again, the the original um, cannabis church uh, really just solely focused on cannabis. And uh, the way I talk about the religious use of cannabis is actually something that I first heard from somebody who doesn't like smoking cannabis. And what they said is every time they smoked, it was like there was a giant inner eye that would turn on them and show them everything that was wrong with their life. And for me, that's that's the core religious use of cannabis is using learning how to use that inner eye to examine your life and what exists beyond this one. And I didn't write down. That's interesting, actually. So the I've. What people could call paranoia, you get wigged out and it's really like maybe it's just a tool to embrace and self-reflect because if you're wigged out by it, possibly you should change. Like what, what's the point of having a Ten Commandments or moral laws is like, hey, you shouldn't sleep with his wife. That's wrong. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. I feel convicted yeah. about that. So if you don't have that like Old Testament doctrine, where would you get it? Maybe you can trust your own soul to reveal it to you through an elevated state. I mean, like it, I mean, Absolutely. it's super, super plausible, especially when you like a lot more people that I talk to believe in like people having this like God-like power. I don't know if that they are gods, but the connectivity to God having this spirituality. So I like, I can see it making sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just the mushrooms took it to a whole nother level. I, you know, they, <laughs> The, the difference with um, cannabis and mushrooms is cannabis, you're still in your body. You're still thinking about um, things around you from your own perspective, from your own ego. So it's your own inner eye helping you examine things. And again, you know, some might call it paranoia. Um, some find it really uncomfortable, but it's it's about learning how to harness that. Mm -hmm. With the mushrooms, on the other hand, um, and especially the, the high doses that, that I personally do on a regular basis, um, you, you see things. You, it, it's, it's no longer an experience things. It's, it's no longer just you in your own head. Um, and, and to kind of explain that, so the way I say mushrooms work is they allow us to 
uh, affect the wall between this reality and the next. The fourth and, wall. <laughs> yeah, basically. At a microdose, um, that's like putting a little crack in the wall. At a, a normal dose in the one gram to an eighth range that most people are used to, it's like putting a hole in that wall. And the more you do, the bigger the hole. Um, at the really high doses that, that I personally do, it's like taking a sledgehammer and knocking down that wall. And what's on the other side of that wall is your soul. It's, I've always heard like nobody's ever overdosed on pot. I am unfamiliar with mushrooms though. Has, is there like any sort of risk? Cause it's not like LSD where you have some sort of bad chemical trip and you lose your mind and go crazy, right? Or can it be? Have you studied this at all? Well, you know, there, so an overdose on either cannabis or mushrooms just means you took too much. And that's more than you're ready to take. The more that you, more than you intend to take, and and a level in which you're now uncomfortable. As far as physically overdosing, um, the LD50 for mushrooms is somewhere around five pounds, and you know that's uh, the, the most I've ever done is 30 grams. Um, five pounds is roughly about 2,500 grams. Uh, no one's ever going to get close to that. L when you say LD50, is is that lethal dose? Yeah, that's the, the lethal dose for 50% of the, the mice that were experimented on. Oh, okay. That's crazy that they have a number for that. Yeah, I mean, they do. It's also a really old number, and there's even some debate of whether or not it's accurate. It, it, there, there's a good chance because the study was done, I think, in the, the mid-70s, and only one rat died. But that rat could have died for a couple other reasons. You know, we, we don't really know. So there hasn't been a lot to really study where the real danger is. But I, I can guarantee you, nobody is ever going to get anywhere close to a pound of mushrooms, much less five pounds. Did the mouse or did the rat actually eat five pounds or is it a proportional thing? We're like, <laughs> proportional okay, because I'm it's like, man, on body weight. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> and they were dealing with pure psilocybin too. So, you know, it, it, it's also another big factor there. Okay. All right. Um, what about the bad trip aspect or you never come back? Like you go psychotic kind of a thing with mushrooms. Do you know, looked into that much of that? Well, so, I mean, a bad trip is uh, a misunderstanding in, in, from my perspective. You know, many of the experiences that I've had on these really high doses, people would consider to be a bad trip. Um, you know, one example, I, I experienced golden beetles eating my flesh, and as they I could feel them eating my flesh and fall to the ground. And we all became a giant mass of golden beetles that then reformed into a golden bowl. Now, you know, there, there's a reason 
you're experiencing everything and there's there's knowledge there for me that was a, an awakening to the fact that one of the big uh, deities worshipped prior to christianity was actually a golden bull um and, and you know that's talked about where moses goes up to the to the mountain to get the commandments and while he's up there uh his followers build these these statues of a golden bull um and after moses comes down and finds out he gets really pissed off and destroys them and kills everybody but you know that's that's Christianity for you. They, they, um, there was just such a good but, satire of um, Jay and Silent Bob with the golden cow. Do you remember the movie Dogma? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I remember that story in the Old Testament is the fact that Ben Affleck yeah. and Matt Damon were just walking to this boardroom and fucking just slay the board members of the golden yeah. cow. That's – sorry. How did you not like – you embrace the pain – was there pain as you're feeling it, or was yeah. it like relief as the I beetles mean, are eating you? Trust me, it's terrifying. But what are you gonna do? You know, all, all you can do is accept this is one. You did it to yourself. <laughs> you're the one who decided to drink 20 grams of mushrooms in the form of tea. <laughs> um, but two, that you you know you're going through this experience to learn something out of it, and you, you know the the golden bowl is is a deity that was worshipped prior to Christianity. And again, at, at the point that I had the experience, um, although I had seen dogma, I, I didn't actually realize that that was one of the main deities that was um, worshipped prior to uh, Judaism. And what did you take away from it? Or what did it reveal to you that you should start a church or change the church doctrine <laughs> or no, no, this was, this was, um, you know, after I'd started the church, uh, and this is probably, I don't know, maybe my 10th high dose somewhere around there that I had that experience. Um, really it, it was out of that ceremony. There was a few things that came out. Um, I, I do audio recording of the, the ceremonies, um, and there were a few really interesting things that I said that I don't remember saying that also pointed me to a region in Turkey that was very interesting, um, where there's these mushroom, uh, they, they call them fairy pillars. Um, but just some really interesting history and connections that, that I wasn't aware of. And, you know, for, for me, especially at that time, um, I, this was prior to the pandemic where I was still doing or still doing sermons every Sunday. So it really helps with the, the content of what I'm going to go talk about next Sunday. And I guess I'm thinking like, you don't, do you overanalyze what's revealed to you in some sort of meaning of life? This is how you should act kind of way. I mean, sometimes, you, you know, these, these experiences are really different depending on what somebody's going through um, and, and what your intent is when you go into them. And my, my intent, especially when I started doing this work, was to, one, understand the mushrooms and understand what religion is. Um, and, you know, for, for me to have that experience um, was 
eye-opening on a couple different levels, but it also means that some of our ancestors likely had a very similar experience. You know, it's, um, that's, that's one of the interesting things about some of this work is there's, there's experiences that are unique to the individual. And then there's, there's shared experiences and shared knowledge that also comes out of them. So was it like validation that you're on the right path with these mushrooms connecting to a religious experience? The fact that you had this golden bull. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's, again, for me, at that point, I didn't need any validation to know that this was what I needed to do. Um, You know, some of the experiences, so that was was what people would consider a bad trip, right? And, and, you know, again, it's it's how you look at it and how you handle it in the moment, um, because you're you're not going to, nothing's going to get any better if you freak out. You know, it's a, it, it, no one's going to be helped. Um, but as an example of some of the other um, experiences that you can have, and, and one that I consider to be uh, one of my most religious experiences, though I consider them all to be religious, there was one where I was dragged through heaven, hell, and every dimension in between and ended up in a place of pure light. I didn't exist. Nothing existed. There was but one consciousness. And again, this is one of the interesting ones because when I've told this story, people come out of the the woodwork saying they've had this exact same experience. Um, But again, depending on who you are, when you reach that place, there's different thoughts. Some people start freaking out because they're like, oh, well, what about my house? What about my kids? What about my possessions? For me, when I got there, it was the feeling of boredom. You know, this is all that exists, just me, um, or not even me, just this this consciousness. Uh, and out of these experiences, especially in the early days when I started doing the work, I get very clear messages. And the messages that I got out of that experience um, were really deep. The, the, there was a question and a couple answers. The question was, if you were God, what would you ask yourself? If you were the creator of everything, the knower of everything, what could you possibly ask yourself that you might not know? And the question I was shown is, what am I? At the point I was given that message, I experienced, you know, there's, it's hard to describe these experiences until you actually have them, but it's, it's beyond watching an HGTV. It's, it's, you are fully immersed. You are part of this and experience it. I experienced the big bang, the creation of space and time and all life. And this was the answer to God's question. In order to know itself, it had to create everything. So we are all part of God experiencing itself to help it understand what it is. I'm trying to let that sink in for a minute and wrap my head around. I've never, by the way, I think you're doing a great job explaining the experience. 
I guess maybe that's why you're a pastor or a preacher. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm thinking the boredom part's really interesting because what is like excitement, curiosity, those are, those are aspects. But if you have all this knowledge and if you have all the experience, you kind of take a lot of those emotions away. Like there's no surprises. Well, there's no, you know, if nothing exists, but you or, or but this one consciousness sounds pretty boring to me. Yeah. So then, yeah. Why would God need to create everything to figure out, to understand itself? Well, without everything existing, how is God to know what it is? Isn't it just that light that you were in? Well, <laughs> it's obviously a lot more than that light. You know, it, it's uh, it had the power to create everything. It's it's a very I'm not smart enough. And my mind jumps around too much to like get a clear linear thought, like to develop a philosophy around that, to think of like arguments, counter arguments, what is like truth? You know, it seems like one of those deep questions. But when you say it, it does kind of make sense because, but at the same time, I feel it's contradictory. So like, it makes sense to me that this deity would then spread itself out and then how I, whatever I like and what other people like, it's then figuring out like, well, what's my personality? For some reason, I keep thinking about it as a personality and this deity being like, I do love love and I am happy when yeah. things are loving or growing or bright, you know, or chaotic. I, you know, it, it, it's everything, right? And, and you know, that that's when you get into duality, you know, you can't have light without darkness. You can't have good without evil. Um, you wouldn't know what anything was if you only had one. Right. Um, but in order for God to completely understand what it is, not necessarily its personality, but what it's capable of, what it, what it is, Man. the only thing it could do is create everything that it could create, which is all of us and all of the stars in the entire universe. To see its limit. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Like how fast... How fast do you know you are until you try to run as fast as you can? How strong yeah. do you know you are until you try to lift as much as you can? So I'm like in a very simple way, I guess. But then like, why, why do you got to prove yourself if you're God? <laughs> why does you God feel the need to find its own limit? You're bored. You're bored. There's nothing but you. My God. Yeah, maybe. Do you, uh, you know, when you, I, I mean, it, and just just to you know send this even deeper um you know that that's the creation of things in other dimensions too and and our souls and oh, man, you know other other things like the golden bowl and other deities that exist outside of the realm of humans it, everything dude it is really interesting like for humans it, all these different languages all these different cultures and like when you celebrate, you look up, not down, right? When you when you smile, everybody knows what a smile is, right? Everybody knows what a frown is. They know the emotion that's attached to that. And it's this like universal reality and it does make you – it seems like the connection between people, the way that we can visually let 
someone know either we want them around or don't want them around without words. And the fact that it seems like everything is about up with appreciation of a higher being. It's like, why is that so common? And then you're like, because maybe the higher being is like calling you to it or something. There's definitely something to explore in that. The fact that it's so prevalent in human race. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, again, in order for this, the consciousness that existed before all else to truly know what it is and what it can do, it had to have all of these experiences. I, I can wrap my mind around it when I think of just how strong do you know you are until you lift till you can't. And yeah. it's like, how powerful do you know you are as a God until you try to create something that you can't? Because if not, you you don't know that you can't do something or you could do more. I When you were talking about like experiences with a high definition when you're visualizing these things, are you in a dark room? Are you asleep? Are, are you just sitting around and like the world that you're in goes away and you're zoomed into this new place? How do you visualize yeah. this? I, I mean, it's... Again, it, it, it's hard to really explain unless you've had the experience. Um, but it it also there's different levels. So, so at some levels, you'll be experiencing things coming into your environment. Um, you know, I, one of my my first thirty gram dose, um, I was actually. Sit, that, that was the first time I had a trip sitter, and I, I do recommend anybody that's doing any sort of work with mushrooms, especially in the higher realms, that you should always have a sober person with you, um, even though that's not how I did my my first set of journeys. Uh, but at 30 grams, um, me and my sitter are sitting on my bed. And we're holding hands, and then it looks like we're holding hands in a circle. And what I see on the other side is three other entities. And she can't see them, but she says she feels their presence. And again, if you, I, I have some video of this. If you, if you look, it looks like we're holding hands in a circle. Um, so, you know, they, at, at one level, things can come into your environment and, and materialize. And this is again, where some of the bad trips and some of the scary things can be. If you don't realize that an alien could appear in your room and physically be there and you could physically touch it. Um, and then that happens, uh, jumping out a window to get away from it doesn't sound like the worst idea, but knowing that this can happen and knowing the the point of these high dose experiences is to make stuff like that happen. Uh, jumping out of the window is not going to help you. Um, on another level, you can leave your body. And that when, when I'm talking about being pulled through every dimension and ending up in a space of pure light, if you physically walk into the room where I'm at, it'll just look like I'm passed out on the floor. Okay. You know, I, I'm fully conscious experiencing something that is is in many cases beyond words, but it looks like I'm just passed out on the floor. Um, but again, it, it 
different levels and different work you have to do, uh, there's a range of experiences that can happen. What caught your attention in heaven when you got well, dragged through heaven? Uh, you know, I just got dragged through everything. So it was like just a, a quick blip uh, of here's some clouds and some some happy people. Um, but when I say every dimension, to me, heaven and hell are just a, just two of the limitless number of dimensions that are out there. Hmm. And they're just two places people could end up depending on what their faith is and depending on where they believe they're going to go. I, I want to ask about this dosing because I, I'm very ignorant to it. And I, when you had said 20 grams of mushrooms in a tea, I'm like, I, I was just literally picturing eating the caps and stuff like that. So do you mind talking a little bit about, and you tr started to break it down about like the grams and what's a micro, what's a regular, what's a macro. Do you mind just explaining your philosophy thoughts or whatever, the if, if there is a standard, like a standard of this stuff, consumption, well, anything? The, the, again, the normal usage of mushrooms is somewhere between a gram and an eighth, and an eighth is 3.5 grams. Um, that, that's where most people are used to just seeing things wiggle and maybe talking to plants and trees and, and just feeling more spiritually connected to nature and existence. Um, although, you know, a lot of them look at it as, as fun party terms. They aren't necessarily looking at it as as a spiritual use, but to me, it, that is a spiritual use. The, the higher doses start at five grams. So five grams is the Terrence McKenna heroic dose. Huh. And anybody that was, is even remotely interested in doing some of this deeper work, that's where you start. Um, you know, unfortunately there's, there's kind of a, a stigma around it in the mushroom uh, communities of people thinking that's the highest you should ever go is five grams. And for the most part, you know, I kind of agree with that. That's it, the highest you should go unless you're really intent in doing some of this deep work. For me personally, I start leaving my body and experiencing other entities coming into this realm at about 15 grams, but everybody's a little different. Some people can break through even at 10 grams or, or less, um, but it, it depends on the potency of the mushrooms. It depends on how you consume them, and it also depends on your own body chemistry of, of how far you're going to go with a certain dose. When you say body chemistry, is it a almost like alcohol, like tolerance and weight? Um, well, so there, there is a tolerance, but it, actually the, the point of the work that I do is to remove your tolerances completely. So, you know, when, when you do this high dose work, you want to wait at least three weeks to a month in between doses. Um, but even then, you know, if you're, if you're going to go <clears throat> experience golden beetles eating your flesh, 
it's not something you want to go back and do the next day necessarily. Um, it's, there's, uh, a lot of this work is really difficult to say the least. And even going back on a monthly basis, um, I was doing that up until my girlfriend got pregnant. And (laughs) now that I have a young child, um, you know, I, I probably do these doses maybe every three to four months. So a few times a year versus once a month, like I was doing at one point. Congratulations on fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, can you tell me more about the Terrence McKenna heroic dose, like how that came to be? Or why is that, a, why is like, why five? You know, I mean, that that's a good question there there's not really a lot of good information out there of why they chose five um but i I think it's it's because that's a level where it's intense but you're still relatively safe um it at the really really high doses you you need to know or you, you need to have the right environment you know, this isn't the sort of thing that you do out in nature. This isn't the sort of thing that you do at a party. This is a bed and a bathroom right next to each other uh, with as little obstacles in between as possible um, by yourself or with a sitter around. But really, the sitter's there just to do human things that you might not be able to. Um, like if the building catches fire, you know, it's good to have somebody there because you might think that's part of the trip uh, and you, you actually need a, a, a sober human to be like, no, the house is actually on fire. Let's get out of here. Jesus, man. Yeah, imagine that. But so Terrence McKenna, who is that? How come that person gets uh, associated with the five grams? Well, Ter- Terrence McKenna was one of the people that first brought mushrooms to the mainstream. Um he wrote a book called food of the gods, Hmm. which is a great book that first actually the the first place that describes um, what's called the stoned ape theory. And so at at the church, we follow something called the religious evolution doctrine, which is kind of a a new version of the stoned ape theory. Uh, The stoned ape theory was basically that, our ancestors came across these mushrooms and by consuming the mushrooms, uh, one of the things psilocybin does is it builds new neural pathways in your brain. So the Terrence's original theory was that um, those new neural pathways are what helped us become human. And to me, I think, you know, that's, that's maybe, part of it, uh, a relatively small part of it, where the religious evolution doctrine really focuses on is that our our ancient ancestors consuming these mushrooms, what they would have saw, the the experiences that they would have had would have helped them uh, survive in the new environment that they were in. Um, So just, I'll go through a little background on that. So yeah. About 2.5 million years ago, um, there was a, a massive climate change. And, you know, this is where science says that that's the point where we started down the pathway of becoming human. 
And what happened is our ancestors were tree dwellers and there was a massive climate change. And, you know, like we've seen here in California, um, climate change means forest fires and massive forest fires that would have chased um, our ancestors out of the forest into the grassland. And one of the very first things that they would have had to do in the in this new environment is find a source of food. And actually one of the, the people that was doing um, high dose work with me, uh, yeah, I have a, a project where we, we do high dose sitting for people actually had the experience of living the lifetime of one of these, one of these ancestral apes. Hmm. And what they experienced is we, first came across the mushrooms hunting for bugs. Because one of the things, you know, that again, our, our ancient ancestors are these apes that are in trees. They're used to a diet of leaves and, and fruits. One of the things that they would know is they can eat bugs. And if they see a bug eating something, they can probably eat that thing too. So the way we first came across these mushrooms, we were following a trail of bugs and it led us to the mushrooms because bugs eat mushrooms too. And one of the, one of the apes, um, decided to eat the mushrooms and the, these mushrooms when they're fresh are delicious. So a hungry ape eating a bunch of mushrooms, um, you're going to get some really weird experiences and some, the levels that I'm at, but the, what, what this person experienced is there was one ape that ate the mushrooms while the others sat back and watched to see what would happen to him. And it's really smart. <laughs> yeah. What, what that first ape experienced, um, we'll never truly know, but from my experience, knowledge, like how to create fire and how to find other things that they can eat in the local environment would be easy for entities on the other side to have, taught us so really the the religious evolution doctrine says that we evolved the ability to know that there's more to this existence by our ancestors coming across these mushrooms so instead of new pathways that are developed in the brain revealing or expanding your intelligence to create fire it would be you travel to an alternative dimension, whatever you want, out-of-body experience, and the deity reveals the skill. And then the yeah. ape, the monkey, would bring it back and be like, hey, guys, let's grab some sticks. Go find some magnifying glasses. <laughs> let's let's not burn all the bugs. We can start fire, too. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. It's and a really interesting concept, man. I've never heard of that, but it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, I, I didn't talk much about how I first got into these really high doses, but I was going to uh, ask. Yeah. Cause like yeah. That, how, like I would feel the trepidation, especially if you don't have a ton of experience. It's not like you're a kid growing up on shrooms. If you just started in 2019 doing shrooms, right? So, yeah. No, I, I, it's, at the point where I took five grams, the, the heroic dose, all I knew is that was the most mushrooms you should ever do. Well, that was a really intense experience, but out of it, I came out in a loop 
and I must have repeated a hundred times to myself, you need to learn how to breathe and you need to do more mushrooms. And again, <laughs> I just in a loop over, you need to learn how to breathe. You need to do more mushrooms. You need to learn how to breathe. Like rain when rain. I finally sober, it, yeah, well, uh, when I finally sobered up, um, I thought to myself, what do you know, mushrooms? I'm breathing right now. But knowing the lethal dose for mushrooms was somewhere around five pounds, I knew I could do more. And a few weeks later, letting the tolerance clear out, I did 10 grams. Another really intense experience. And I came out in the same loop. Again, I must have said it to myself a hundred times. You need to learn how to breathe and you need to do more mushrooms. So this time I decided to Google how to breathe. And if you Google how to breathe, you'll find a TED talk and you'll find multiple doctors talking about how as a society, we've forgotten how to breathe. And what they're talking about is because we're all conscious of our bellies and we're sitting down at desks, we've started breathing with the upper halves of our body um, and not our diaphragm, which is the muscle that we have to breathe with. And the reason the doctors are talking about this is there's a new disease happening in the elderly where they've just stopped using their diaphragm their entire life. And now when they're old, their diaphragms have atrophied and they're having breathing problems. Hmm. So we're, we're literally having breathing problems because we stopped using the muscle that we have to breathe with. And this is where things got really weird for me. I was one of those people. So how did I know that I didn't know how to breathe? And that was really deep. You know, there, there's two possibilities. Um, I honestly consider them both to be true. But one is that the mushrooms allowed, allowed me to connect with something deep inside myself that was then able to clearly communicate with me, yo, dude, you need to learn this. You're doing it wrong. The other, which is something I truly believe, there are guides on the other side, and they knew this was the first lesson that I needed to learn before I moved forward. What would, why would breathing be the first lesson you needed to learn? Uh, well, I mean, one, um, I was physically breathing wrong. You know, humans are built to use our diaphragm to breathe with. So, yeah. you know, that, that was... And that actually took me like six months to relearn how to use my diaphragm to breathe with, mm -hmm. um, because you, you don't you don't realize you're you're doing it wrong until you you're, it's pointed out, and then it's a whole another muscle you need to learn how to use. Um, but the the other reason is you know doing these really high doses, breathing is key. You know, you, you need to be able to have these really intense experiences and physically maintain yourself at the same time. Mm. Um, breathing with the upper half of my body makes it a lot more difficult. You know, using the muscle that, that I have to breathe with, my diaphragm, um, once it's it's reactivated and working the way it's supposed to work, it's breathing is almost autopilot or it's supposed to be autopilot. Right. It sounds like Lamaze. As soon as you said, I'm having this intense experience and it's like, well, in pregnancy, we focus on your breathing, focus on your breathing. It can distract from the Absolutely. pain. And then for some reason, I guess, I don't know, oxygen, it goes to your body. I really thought you were, 
<laughs> I really thought you were going to talk about, I had this, um, this guy from Canada, actually he's been on the pod twice, Spencer, and he's a yogi. Um, and he's got two of these videos where his fucking belly goes wild. And I guess he controls it. And I've heard about this breathing technique that can induce a psychedelic trip. Are you familiar with, I, I don't know the name of it though. Does that ring any yeah. bells? You're talking about holotropic breathing. Holotropic, yes. Why uh, can't I ever fucking remember that? Yes, holotropic breathing. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that's that's a, a, a really good point to bring up. You don't need to take a bunch of mushrooms to have the type of experiences that I've had. There's other ways to reach them, um, you know, through intense meditation, through breathing techniques. Um, there, there are many ways in which humans have been able to reach, reach these places, but, um, the mushrooms are the shortcut. And <laughs> in my opinion, the first way that we ever had those experiences. Gotcha. So now you're at 10 grams and you've figured out how to breathe. And. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Again, learn how to breathe and do more mushrooms. Um, <laughs> that should be your so, T-shirt. Like you've got to sell that as swag. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, one of the many that I need to make. Um, <laughs> but but uh, so then my next experience, uh, again a few weeks later, letting the tolerance clear out, was 15 grams, and this was. Another really intense experience, but this is the first time I actually experienced entities coming through and experienced things on the other side that I interacted with. Um, really, really intense stuff. I met a, a, a good number of entities, um, some of which presented themselves and told me they were the oldest of the mushroom gods and explained why I exist, why they brought me here, why they have me doing this and really what the purpose of my life was, um, which honestly, prior to doing the mushrooms, I was a little lost. I, I knew that I was doing the right thing by starting a cannabis church, but I wasn't really sure that this was, um, you know, I never really thought of myself as the most religious person. And I, I couldn't fully understand why I was put in this position of running this church that was now a cannabis and mushroom church. But they told me why they told me that they needed me to do this, they needed me to be able to understand this work. And they needed my skill set that I've developed over the last 10 years of fighting governments for uh, sacred plants. Um, hmm. But out of after that experience, I came out in another loop. And this one was, <laughs> there's more knowledge to spread and do more mushrooms. And again, I must have said that a 100 times. <laughs> This time when I sobered up, I, I was actually a little freaked out because here I was, I'd never heard of anybody doing anything more than five grams. And here I just did 15 and was being told to do more. Um, so I Googled high dose mushrooms and I came across 
um, the late uh, Kalindi E. Um, Kalindi was an amazing man out of Detroit who had been doing work with high-dose mushrooms for over 40 years. Um, unfortunately, he passed away at the beginning of uh, COVID. Um, but he just happened to be talking at a conference in Portland the next weekend, and I had the resources to go. So I go to Portland. I, I walk in the door. The registration desk is to the right, and standing right in front of me is Kalindi. He's the first person to say anything to me, and he thinks he recognizes me. You know, th this is a man I've never met, and I'm, I literally went to this conference to see. He's the first person to say anything, and he thinks he knows me. Um, and, and, you know, really that conference was absolutely where I needed to be. It was all about the religious use of plants, um, and it, it allowed me to develop a relationship with Kalindi um, before he passed away. Um, but if it weren't for him and that experience, I might have just stopped right there and been like, what are these crazy things doing to me? I just took 15 grams of mushrooms, met some <laughs> some entities calling themselves the oldest of mushroom gods that told me what my life was, and now I'm supposed to do more mushrooms. It sounds like I'm, I'm just going crazy with these. Um, but again, here was this man who had been doing this work for over 40 years and had, you know, he, his highest dose was 50 grams, which is a lot of mushrooms. But after meeting him, I had the confidence to continue my own work and keep going forward. What was it like when he said, I feel like I know you? What was that conversation? Um, it, it wasn't even, I feel like I know you. He, he said, good to see you again. And just, we started a conversation like we had known each other for years, even though I'd never met the man. I'm going to do that to every new person I meet on this <laughs> podcast and in life, just to, just to immediately make them more comfortable. Good to see you again. Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, it, it, it was, it was a little weird to me because again, here I, I, I'd flown into Portland to go to this conference to meet this guy. And he's the first person to say anything. And he's like, yeah, we've been friends for years. Um, the next chick I pick up, like, good to meet you again. What are you talking about? I'm the man of your <laughs> dreams. And it's like, ah, it'll be my icebreaker. Man, that's, yeah. that is super validating, right? I mean, yeah. like, not to make fun of your experience, belittle it, but like, yeah. that's, that's the kind of shit where all of a sudden you can get converted into there is this, like, what divine path or like, there is my, what's the, fate that i'm supposed to be yep. here you start believing in that that it, it was it was definitely fate it was meant to be you know there there's i i was meant to do this work um and and again with without him just existing um i may have gone a different route and been like these mushrooms are making me go crazy yeah um because so, he it, again I just took 15 grams 
and I'm being told I need to do more mushrooms. And as far as all the research I had done and all the context I had at that point, five grams was the most anybody was supposed to do. He's the original monkey. You're one of the side Um, monkeys watching him and then you're getting your strength and your bravery from that person. Yeah, no, he, he was definitely one of the original ones for sure. So then you go home, we're at 15 and you immediately are just like, fuck it, I'm a double it. Uh, no, no. Um, from there I did 20. Um, another Luke. really incredible experience, uh, more interacting with entities. Um, and, and actually in, in that one, there was, there was this weird experience where one of them opened a portal and said, Hey, if you want to go back to Portland to see this girl that you're talking about, you can step through this portal right now and you'll be there. Um, I didn't step through the portal. I was a little too freaked out for that. Um, but another really intense experience interacting with more entities, with more knowledge that they wanted to teach me. Um, and I came out of, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I thought I could sneak it in. I'm just super curious about like, do these entities repeat? Is there a commonality in them? Do you feel comfortable or each time are you kind of meeting a new entity, a new spirit? Um, you know, many of them repeat. Um, it, it really depends on what work you need to do with, with who and what. Huh. Um, and that's, that comes down to individuals, um, an individual's path. Uh, but I definitely have interacted with the same entities many times. And I've, I've met, I mean, at this point I've done, uh, well over 30 high dose experiences myself. Um, and there's probably, I don't know, a hundred plus different entities that I've met over, over this time. Um, so there, there are some that, that, uh, have repeated through sets of journeys. Um, a, a lot of times, especially, uh, early on, there was a whole set of, of training that I went through in how to use these tools. And that, that came from entities on the other side. Would it be similar to like the Catholic saints where it's like, if I need to pray, pray to the saint of good fortune, pray to the saint of, I don't even know what they are. I think I've seen them in like um, bank robbery movies <laughs> where like the Irish people are robbing a bank and they're like, pray to the saint of the sinners. And it's like for forgiveness or pray to the saint of bravery. Would you equate it like that? Like they have job, these entities have jobs, they're task specific. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like they have job or job titles, but you know, like each one, has its own ambitions, um, its own desires and the reasons it exists. So it's, there are definitely ones that you can, um, you could invoke and and have discussions or they can help you understand something or they can help you do something. Um, and then there's others that just exist on this other side of reality that, um, you know, that's, just like this day-to-day existence that we're in, that's their day-to-day existence. That's, gotcha. That's extremely 
it's a very weird thing to think about. Like these entities are sitting there being like, I really hope Dave trips again, or they have a calendar. And they're like, we know Dave is going to macro in just three more days till we see him again. Can't wait. Like, but that could be happening. That's crazy to think about. It, it definitely, I mean, it, it, it's definitely happening. And, you know, when you get into um, the threads of fate and what leads us into certain places and taking certain actions, there's even ways that I've been shown that they manipulate those things to bring you there. What do you mean, manipulate? Well, I mean, you know, if if you look at, um, I'm trying to find the best analogy, but if if um, it if fate is like a a, a network of uh, tree roots or mycelia, a whole bunch of interconnected things. There are ways that these entities can adjust those to bring certain experiences into your existence. For you to learn from or to cause you to dose and go to the psychedelic realms. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. I'm sorry. I, like I'm... I shouldn't keep interjecting in your story because I'm curious getting up to 30, but man, there's just so much of this that's so new to me. And you're, again, I'm, uh, you're very articulate and thoughtful and how you explain it. Clearly you've processed this a bunch and that's why I'm, I don't know. I keep throwing questions at you, Dave. I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. I, I am going to have to get going in probably about 20 minutes. But, oh um... shit. All right. So then I'm going to pause on how you get there. So let's spend the last 20 talking about, the raid and all this oh, yeah. and right, right. <laughs> didn't even get there. And that was the original case. So, um, basically, and I'll be the jerk and the devil's advocate, right? It seemed when I read the article, you're just a dude who charges people $5 a month and they can get as much pot as they want from you. And then maybe they can leave a donation. And all you are is an undercover cannabis dispensary without a license and you're a money grubber, and you found a loophole, basically, right? That's, in essence? Yes. I mean, that that is how some people view me and will always view the work that I do. Um, you know, from my perspective, these tools are what first allowed us to have these experiences and to know that there's more that exists to this reality. And the fact that it's hard for people to access them. Um, in the case of cannabis, uh, it, the, um, the industry in California because of prop 64 really prices a lot of people from being able to access, um, what they need to access. And, and that's, that's, um, really unfortunate. Um, can I say it's the second time you've mentioned prop 64 and I'm on East coast, Delaware, we're fighting to legalize it in Delaware as well. So I'm curious about this priced out part. Well, so I mean, 
I could probably talk for an hour or so just about Prop 64, but Prop 64 was the legalization initiative in California uh, that passed in the 2016 election. And the problem with it is the way it was structured between um, between a, a really burdensome regulatory system and the, the method that they used to tax um, it makes it so that uh, an eighth of marijuana at most um, dispensaries ends up costing somebody in the range of seventy to a hundred dollars. Holy shit! And which the the underground market in California and the uh, medical marijuana market that existed prior to Prop sixty four, that same eighth would be 35 to 40 dollars so it's prop 64 um you know again i I don't want to go on too much of a rant about it but it really it 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 isn't real legalization it's um sounds like legalization i'm sorry i was just gonna say shit ton of of taxation which drives the market price up yeah well and it, it makes it so that um, nobody who actually smokes a lot of weed in California buys it from a dispensary. It, it just it's doing so it is cost script. Yeah. You know, why are you going to go spend a hundred dollars to get a good eighth of weed when your boy, uh, can get you a half ounce of weed that's better than that for 80 bucks. You're, Gotcha. You know, it, it just and that's that's the big problem with the California industry. Um, the vast majority of dispensaries are losing money. And it, it's because their their actual market has been priced out of working with them. You, you So nobody who smokes weed is buying weed at the dispensary. Why do you have why do you feel the need to provide weed? Why can't people bring their own weed and. Wouldn't that alleviate the whole thing if you didn't give or if the church didn't provide the weed and mushrooms? People need access. This is a a, a tool that they use to access the divine, to access their own souls, to think about themselves from a different perspective. Um, to me, they need a safe place to access it. And, you know, that that was the original goal of the cannabis church Um, before we before I knew anything about uh, what the mushrooms were going to (laughs) do. All right. So what happened the day of the raid? I I saw the video and the security guard up front, which is like kind of hilarious, but I guess very needed. And the fact that it was two hundred thousand dollars worth of items that got stolen i'm super curious about the pricing and like how you got to 200k because that there were three safes that were huge um so do you mind just going through what happened that day and then what was taken yeah well you know just a little context at that point we had twenty thousand members so we were already a fairly big church Mm. um after the raid and over the past two years we've basically tripled in size. We now have almost 60,000 members, um, which, 
technically makes us one of the biggest mega churches. We just need the right building at this point. Um, but the, the, the raid was, was pretty insane. You know, I, I was about five minutes away when it started. Um, I ran down there and got there as they were still clearing people out of the building. I started yelling at the police. Uh, you're violating our religious freedom. Uh, this is supposed to be the lowest priority for you guys. What are you doing? And most importantly, I'm the one responsible for all this. If you want to get into the safes, I'm the one you have to talk to. Um, basically saying, arrest me, arrest me, arrest me. <laughs> um, they took my information and said I was free to go, um, which was a little surprising. So I went home, I smoked a, a fat joint and talked to my attorneys, and we came up with this plan of going back down there with a letter. And the letter basically said, if you sign this, you acknowledge uh, we see this as a violation of our religious freedom and I'll open the safes for you. Um, get back down there. The uh, officer Romero who signed the warrant didn't want anything to do with me. So I said, who's his boss? And me and the sergeant on scene went back and forth for about a half an hour. And I was saying, look, I want to get you guys out of here so we can start cleaning up and move on with our lives. But I can't do that until you sign this piece of paper. The sergeant was saying, well, the only person who could sign that piece of paper would be the city attorney. And at that point, it had taken, taken them two hours to break into one of the saves. We had four more of those same saves. And we had one safe in there that's rated at eight hours for a professional safe cracker. So you're a professional, you, you have all the right tools, you know what you're doing in a best case scenario, it takes you eight hours to get into that safe. So what I pointed out to him is like, well, I, it looks like I got somewhere between 14 to 16 hours to get a hold of the city attorney to sign this document. The sergeant comes up with a compromise of, okay, let us in the eight hour safe and we'll pack our bags and leave. Now, what's the significance of the eight-hour safe? Well, John Romero, the guy on the warrant, was absolutely sure we had hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in that safe. So I, I told the sergeant, look, we, all, the, all that's in there is some old paperwork. And he said, look, I, I don't care. We, we can't leave until we get into that safe. And that's what Romero is saying. So I went in. Uh, you know, again, I was on the phone with the attorney. The attorney's like, do it, do it, do it. And I'm playing a little cautious saying, how do I know you guys are really going to leave? And the sergeant assures me he doesn't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there. It's Romero that's keeping them there. Um, so just let us in the safe and then, then we'll go, we'll all go home and you can clean up the mess. Um, I let him into the safe. Romero saw the old paperwork, got pissed off, threw it on the ground and the cops packed their bags and left. So they only actually cut into the video of the fire department with whatever the saw. Yeah. Um, they only got into one safe. Yes. And in Which, that, that's, that's not how you break into one of those safes. I've had to have it done because sometimes the electronic locks fuck up and you have to get a locksmith out. 
They drill a hole and they're in one of those saves in 15 minutes. You don't need to cut a fucking window sized hole into a safe. It seems so dramatic. Uh, it did not seem, it, 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 it seemed like they didn't even try to Google, to be honest with you. I'm looking at these yeah. sparks flying, I'm looking at everything around, and then you see the picture of the building, you're like, this should not, there's got to be a quicker, safer, more efficient way to do this than just have a fucking yeah. hacks or a jigsaw, like, or a handsaw. Um, so in that one safe, they were able to get $200,000 worth of... No, it, it, it was in that safe, but also what we had available out on the floor. So oh. inside the church, there's um, basically three rooms. Um, the, the lobby where people joined to become the member or become members. The next room is where we do the sermons and there's pews in there and a stage. And then uh, past that, there's another room where you get your sacrament. And that's that's where the, the bulk of the money was, is, is we we have shelves in there with all sorts of different types of sacrament, mushroom products and cannabis products. And um, the, the inventory guy had uh, filled up all the drawers right before they came in. God. So that, that was... Uh, bad timing for that, but you know, that that's, that's why it was so much. So what are the amounts as in like how, how many, uh, are we talking pounds of mushrooms, pounds of pot and money wise, like, do you have some metrics you can share? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, a bunch of concentrates, you know, broken up into to small amounts, but a total, you know, there there were equivalent to a few pounds of concentrates and uh, a, a good number of pounds of of cannabis and mushrooms and mushroom chocolate bars and uh, you know edible uh, cannabis products and all sorts of all sorts of different sacraments. Gotcha, and. So then what you do with the membership fee and when people donate is you replenish this, you go out and purchase it. Are you able to like grow this in California? I'm completely unfamiliar with how that process would work. Yeah. I mean, members of the church uh, produce stuff for the church. So we have uh, members that grow cannabis and we have members that grow mushrooms and we, we have members that make chocolate bars and members that make all sorts of cannabis edibles. So, and then you buy them off of them or are those donated or a mixture? Yeah. We, so the, the language that we use is uh, contributions. So God. when, when people donate, they're contributing to the expenses incurred in producing and providing the sacrament. God. So that the money that people donate for their sacrament then goes back to reimburse the people that are producing the sacrament for us. And if you never got to the mushrooms and just stayed at the pot, do you think you get raided? Um, yeah, yeah the, the warrant was actually all about pot and didn't meant to mention mushrooms, wow. which, you know, the, the warrant, you know, the, the, so, you know, the, the context that I told you about measure Z, um, there have been what are called Measure Z clubs in Oakland ever since 2004. And the same group that raided us also raided about 
five different Measure Z clubs at the same time. And they, they do this every so often, and it's basically a, a smash and grab to get cash. They go in, they take everything out of the store, they grab all the money, and then very rarely are there any criminal charges placed against anybody, uh, but the cops keep the cash. And so they kept your product as well in this case. Yeah, yeah. well, they, they, they keep the cash and the product. You know, they're, they're not going to give it back. Um, so that, that's kind of what these, this group expected to happen. They expected that it would just be like any other Measure Z club, and they'd come take our money and, and clear us out, and then we would shut our doors for a little bit, reopen or open down the street, which is what these Measure Z clubs have been doing to this day ever since 2004. It sounds like training day, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it, it's, it, it's really a ridiculous situation. And especially after Prop 64 passed, um, and, and this is part of the, the lawsuit too, the warrant is actually a completely illegal warrant. The warrant claims that there were marijuana felonies happening inside the building. One of the only good things that happened with Prop 64 is there's basically no more marijuana felonies. Mm. They're either misdemeanors or um, uh, civil civil fines or penalties, but there's no more felonies. So on the warrant, um, Romero claims a, a, a few things that are just not true. One, that we were on weed maps, and that's how we he found us, which prior to the raid, we were not on the internet. We were just word of mouth, and we would actively patrol the internet for anybody talking about us and say, please take this information down, um, because we were just word of mouth. But And I'm assuming this weed to, maps is like, a, hey, you can find out a place to like get some free weed, basically. Yeah. Yeah, we, Weed Maps is like a a, a a Yelp sort of situation for dispensaries and marijuana businesses. Gotcha. And, okay. um, but again, we we have never been the church has never been on that site, um, and so he claimed that he found us on Weed Maps, and he claimed that there were felonies happening, which there are no more marijuana felonies in California. So how could a marijuana felony be happening? Despite amounts. Like I hear the word pounds. I think in Delaware, it's decriminalized up to an ounce. <laughs> when I hear the word pounds, I'm like, that wouldn't register as a felony, just possessing multiple pounds of pot and mushrooms? No, well, mushrooms, yes. Um, but cannabis, no. Okay. So, cannabis you know, was one of the... One of the things, you know, again, I, I'm not a fan of Prop 64, but one of the big things that it did that was good is it removed all marijuana-related felonies and uh, released anybody who was in jail for any marijuana felonies. So uh, other than destroying the cannabis industry, the good thing that it did was made it so that nobody is going to jail for, for marijuana in California. I can't believe they get to take all your stuff and not even charge you. If they don't charge <laughs> you, how do they not immediate, like why do they still have the right to take these things in, is in order to 
build charges and then hit you two years later? Would that be the reasoning? Well, you you would think they would have charged us by now, but knowing that there's, you know, the, the other really interesting thing that came out of the raid is we found out that the mayor and the majority of the city council were in support of us. And that was that was a little bit of a shocker in, in the best sort of way. But, you know, they were they were not happy with the police department at all. And they didn't think that resources should have been wasted to um, go after a, a, a cannabis and mushroom church. Yeah, because it was, I mean, it was literally like 20 cops and then a bunch of fire guys. And I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, and this is at the height of the, right at the beginning of the pandemic and also in the middle of fire season. Right. So we, we had, um, you know, around that time, there was a bunch of really big fires going on throughout the state. So taking away um, police resources that, you know, they, there's there's plenty of things the police need to be uh, dealing with in in Oakland, um, but also distracting the um, the firefighters um, that, that was really I mean, there, there, there had to be some good justification for it, and there really wasn't. And is the church back open now, or do you have to wait to continue? Oh, no, no we, we opened 24 hours after the, the race. Back at it, huh? Yeah, I mean, we, were, we were right back open. Um, and, and we've been open without any sort of issues um, for the past two years. See, that's fucking crazy too, man. They raid you, take everything, and then you reopen. And it's like, nah, it's fine. It makes well, no, that's you know, nonsensical. Again, they, they really didn't have um, the support to do what they did, you know, and we found that out and they found that out um, after the raid. But uh, in addition to that, you know, the, the district attorney that would be the one charging us, um, they've got a bad warrant they're looking at. They, they have a, a raid based on felonies happening that don't exist. So then the real part, the real dispute is, can you give people drugs who have a membership to a church? Which isn't, um, isn't a dispute. You know, there's, there's a couple really good cases that make that really clear. Um, one of the oldest is Native Americans uh, working with peyote. And, you know, the Native American church is allowed by the federal government to, to provide peyote to its members. Does it need um, to be on a reservation or can they do that anywhere in America? They can do it anywhere that they are part of the church. Okay. I mean, it is their religious freedom, religious right to use peyote. Um, the other one is called the UDB case. And I, I can't actually say or pronounce the name of this church, but it's a ayahuasca church out of Brazil. Hmm. And they, um, they got caught importing ayahuasca. And this was... Uh, it's more uh, recent than your raid, right? No, no. The, the, but there's there's a few other ones that have happened since. But no, okay. the, <laughs> the ayahuasca church, um, the UDV case, I think is 
I want to say 2007, but it, it might be a little bit later than that. It might be 2012, um, somewhere around there. But it, it's it's a few years old. Um, regardless, they they won their case. So the UDV church is allowed to import and use ayahuasca here in the U.S. No shit. UDV? Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you just Google UDV case, Supreme Court case, you should find it. Man, that's crazy. So then it comes down to the fact that if judges believe that this is a true religious belief, it is, does it come down to historical precedence? Is that going to be the issue? The fact that you started this thing and are you the only cannabis church? Are there others throughout the country, throughout no, they, the world? They, there's, there are other cannabis churches um, and the, the law hasn't been really kind to cannabis churches in general, but you, you have to look at the cases and you know, there's, uh, there's one case, uh, again, a, a U.S. Supreme Court case uh, called the Myers case. And this was a guy in the late 90s who um, had a marijuana church and the Supreme Court ruled against him. But when you look at the facts of the case, the guy was basically saying, it's my religious right to grow and sell as much weed as I want. And uh, weed is good for medical this and weed is good for medical that. But no religious context. Mm. No, this is how we use uh, cannabis in a ceremony. No, this is this is how... Uh, cannabis is our connection to the divine or anything like that. It was, it, the case really is all around the guy feeling that it's his religious freedom to grow and sell as much weed as he wants. Um, which, you know, that's the wrong approach. I mean, you, you have to have a religious context around it. Yeah. It, I'm trying to go back through the San Francisco article because that brings up a good point. For some reason, I, reading up on you, I was, I have the words for profit with a question mark. And did like somebody accuse you with something said or what's that allegation about you or the, the church being for profit by distributing pot? I, it's just bullshit. You know, I, I, there's one, one of the you pro, you might have come across a quote from one of the cops during the raid that was like it, he made some comment about how this was the first for profit church he's ever heard of. But oh, there's, yeah, yeah, that, that was that's just him pulling words out of his ass. And um, if you think that there's no church that profits off of what they do in any way shape or form you don't understand how churches work dude that i'm like is any motherfucker heard of joel Osteen? you don't think he's for profit <laughs> right right i mean they, 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 there are plenty of for profit churches that exist they definitely but, make you know, i don't know if they're for profit but they definitely yeah. make a profit yeah it, it, exactly exactly and, and you know, whether or not you're for profit or not for profit um, really is just how you use the money and how you view what you're doing. And the, the goal 
of what we're doing is not to make a bunch of money. Um, that that's never been the goal. The goal was to allow people to have access to these important sacraments. Gotcha. Well, I can't find it. It's the San Francisco Chronicle article. If anybody listening wants to check for that for-profit comment, I'm trying to scroll and I couldn't find it. Dave, clearly... No, it's, it's in one of the old um, articles around the the actual raid that we had happen. And again, that's what's crazy is that that same police officer tried to justify um, justify the raid three different ways. Uh, the first one was that we increased crime in the neighborhood, which um, where we're located is one of the high crime areas of Oakland. Uh, in fact, just yesterday, there was a elderly woman who got shot um, at like five o'clock in the morning because some gangsters just came down the street and shot off about 86 rounds in the direction of her building. Uh, that had nothing to do with our church. That's just the area that we're in. Um, and we even provided the, the surveillance footage that we have to the police uh, to help them try to figure out who did it. But we definitely have nothing to do with increasing crime in the neighborhood. If anything, we help reduce it because we're, we have video cameras and we're willing to provide the police the, the video footage that we have. But that, that was his first reason. Um, the second reason was because we were selling um, cannabis, which, again, I, I broke down how we actually work. Uh, when you join the church, you own everything that is the church. So you already own the cannabis and the mushrooms before any monetary exchange happens. So how, how do you buy or sell something that you already own? Um, well, that's which just to push back a little bit. That sounds kind of weird because if you, you literally just bought it, you just bought everything for five dollars a month. Well, no, the five dollars a month is your membership fee. And then once you join, there's a contract that you sign that explains how your membership works and it spells out some things like the fact that you own everything that is the church as soon as you become a member. And we, we do this for some legal reasons, but the goal is to cover our bases in every way we possibly can. Um, but when you become a member, you own everything that is the church. So now you can't just take anything from the church until you contribute for the expenses incurred in producing and providing. But th that's the language that we exist with, and that's, that's how we do what we do. Gotcha. Sorry, I didn't mean to so, cut you off, but like that that's a weird thing for me to wrap my head around because if I'm giving you money to then own something, it's like I did just buy it in a very simple well, way. So the, the model that um, people are used to where that actually comes from is cooperatives. Um, uh, so, you know, there's, there's a, a very well-established legal definition of what a cooperative is. And... A cooperative is something that all the members own all of the cooperative and they they 
pool their resources in order to get things that the members need. Hmm. Um, and in a cooperative, that's exactly how it works is you, you already own everything that is the cooperative and there is a defined way that you can get what you need out of the cooperative, um, depending on what type of cooperative is and, and how it's set up. But oh. this is, you know, it, it's, um, we're not reinventing the wheel. We just knew that when we were setting this up that we needed to cover every legal method we possibly could. So why do you ask if people are a cop when joining the church membership? What's the point of that? Um, <laughs> so we can say the cops lied to us. <laughs> that simple. Like in case you're raided or in case they actually you. think it's, John Romero signed up as a member and checked the box that said he wasn't a cop. The sergeant from the warrant. Yes. With, with a fake ID. It didn't say he was John Romero. You just now know he was John Romero or. The... Yeah, we, we were able to figure out who it was. I mean, you know, it, it, we, we keep copies of all our members information and we were able to based on what he said in the affidavit for the warrant, we were able to figure out when he came in and figure out which fake ID was his. Oh man. That's, <laughs> it's just, it's just funny that like, it's a, we want to catch the cops when they're lying aspect. And then the cop fake ID to get the warrant. I'm, the cash grab thing, I'm still just going back to that. And I know you were making a third point and I interrupted you. I'm sorry. But like the fucking cash grab is so just it, – it seems like like the dude comes in and sees a bunch of weed and like in his head he starts like thinking it must be so much cash if there's all this pot kind of a thing. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. I mean it, it's – well, and it – in his experience, uh, generally when they they do these raids, they they get something, you know. They and uh, unfortunately for them, they got a lot more product than they did cash. But uh, it, that was a roll of the the dice. A different day, they might have got more cash and less product. But the, the day that they came in, we didn't have a lot of cash there. Did they give you a receipt? Like, do they weigh all the pot and then be like, hey, we took four pounds of pot from you? Kind of a thing. Uh, sorry, my, my yeah, I'm sorry. girl was saying I, I know you got to go. So, yeah, that'll be the last question, Dave. Thank you so much. We heard the baby crying. Like, when they took everything, do they give you an itemized receipt of we took all this? Yeah, they do. They do. Um, and, you know, even that... Even that, there's some issues with. Um, it uh, didn't list any of the um, any of the uh, concentrates that they took from us. So we know that they took the majority of what they took was concentrated cannabis, but there's no concentrated cannabis listed on their uh, receipt of what they took from us. Mm. Um, in closing, anything else you want to say, you want to talk about? I know you're multitasking like a motherfucker, man. And I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, 
you know, just if uh, anybody wants any more information on us, they can check out our website, which is uh, ambrosia.church or uh, zidedoor.com, and that's Z-I-D-E door.com. Gotcha. And we will put those links in the description um, of the podcast. Dave, good luck on the fight, man. Um, I, I'm a believer that you're a believer in your explanation. Like, I mean, I, I think who the fuck is going to talk for an hour and a half and describe these experiences and be as thoughtful, elegant, and you're not Googling. You, like you're literally walking around your house handling shit and you're able to express this. To me, it, it makes sense that this is a, a, a religion for you. I don't know if I'm a Supreme Court judge, but it makes, it makes, I'm a believer. Well, I, I appreciate that a lot. And, you know, it's it, one of the, one of the crazy things about this work is, you know, if you, if you do these high, high doses, it, it, it explains itself. You know, I, the, the great thing about what I can preach and what I talk about is you don't have to follow a book. You don't have to listen to me. You just have to do the work and have the experience yourself. I love it. Great way to end. Dave, enjoy your evening. Thank you so much for your time. I'm excited just to see where this goes, man. It was, um, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to speak to you about it. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, man. Enjoy your night. Yeah. You too. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.